whisk it and its features do exist in the world already, but nothing that anybody is using consistently or is user-friendly and it's just not working. So why isn't it working? And so I kind of pulled aspects from all these things that I thought would make whisk it into kind of the perfect recipe. You are listening to the Product Builders Podcast. Each week on the show, we bring you conversations with experts and innovators building digital products. Our conversations help you gain behind-the-scenes insights into building some of today's most innovative companies. Subscribe and be sure to check out our website for more at productbuilderspodcast.com. This episode is brought to you by Majestic Apps. We imagine, design, and build digital products. With clients like Chevrolet, AudioMac, IBM, Barefoot, and more, you can be sure you're in good hands. Reach out to us at MajesticApps.com. In this episode of the Product Builders Podcast, we interview Emily Fagerstrom, the founder of Whisket, and Mark Garcia, the chief creative officer at Majestic, all about the dynamic of launching a startup as a non-technical founder. All right, welcome back to another episode. Mark and Emily, thank you for joining us here again today. Can you two both just take a quick second to you know, just give a brief introduction of who you are and what you do? Emily, can you kick us off here? Yeah. Hi. Thanks for having me. So my name is Emily. I am the founder of Whisket, a up-and-coming e-commerce solution and partnering with Majestic on the development. Great. And I am Mark, the chief creative officer over at Majestic, and I handle all things visual design, user experience, product development in tandem with my development partners. Great. Well, um, thank you guys both for coming on here. And to start off on this, I know we're going to be diving a lot through the journey of you know Whisket and Majestic and you guys working together to build this product. But I think, Emily, it would be helpful to give the audience context on just a bit more about who you are and your kind of background and maybe what your trajectory has looked like coming up to building this product. Sure. So I'll start from the beginning. I was born and raised in Texas. I grew up in a very small farming community out west, very Friday Night Lights-esque. And I went to Baylor University, which is in Waco, Texas, and I studied journalism with a minor in merchandising. So I was always really interested in arts and fashion and retail and was just always really fascinated by it. I always knew that I wanted to be part of that world. I just wasn't really sure in which area specifically. I mean, I went through a phase where I wanted to be a designer. I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be all these different things. So going into college, I thought journalism was a really great outlet to explore those options, especially with a minor in merchandising. And my senior year of college, I applied for an internship on a piloting HGTV show. And the week before I was supposed to start, I got a phone call and they told me that the internship had fell through, but they were offering me a part-time job at their storefront selling home goods and decor. And that was perfect for my senior year. I was taking minimum hours and wanted to make some money on the side. So I thought this is great for the next couple of months and then graduation and we'll be out of here. But I did graduate in a few months after that, and I ended up staying with that company for the next three and a half years. They really gave me my first opportunities in merchandising and retail. I worked a couple of different jobs. I started out in purchasing and worked my way into buying, and then finally ended in product development, which for me was the real base of my career in retail. It was such a great opportunity for me to learn and 
I think the thing that I took away the most was you'll be handed these opportunities in life and you may not be qualified or prepared for them, but if you're willing to learn and do the work, you can do it and do it well. So that was kind of the basis of how I started out in retail. Nice. That's incredible. And so what was the point where you decided, hey, I want to go from this career into retail into kind of building my own product. Can you maybe tell us about that point that led up to where maybe I guess where the idea or where you decided to start to jump into Whiskit? So after my three and a half years there, I moved to Boston where I live now. And I started working for a large dot-com retailer in home goods. And the tech side of their business was so interesting to me. Going from a small design-focused business to a large tech-focused business was just the contrast was crazy. And to me, something that I kind of took from both was the perspective of the importance of a customer experience from two very different retailers, but it's always the bottom line. What is the customer experience? And to me, that kind of got me thinking the internet is basically like an infinite source of options and an infinite store. And for me, that can be really overwhelming sometimes to navigate and That is really where I got thinking about how can we make the world of online shopping a bit more manageable and customizable and less overwhelming. And that's kind of where Whiskit came into play. Yes. So can you give us maybe then a quick overview of what is Whiskit? What are you guys building there? And what's kind of the problem that you are trying to solve? Yeah. So with Whiskit, like I said, with Infinite options online, I feel like shoppers are finding it increasingly difficult to commit to a purchase on the spot. And in lieu of making that purchase, when they find that item, they are often adding to cart or adding to their favorites list for that specific retailer. But I found that to be really constraining. I would build out these big carts of things that I was interested in buying But then I'd also be shopping from other retailers and trying to factor that all into your budget or a mood board of all the things that you're interested in buying if you're thinking about the bigger picture. And I just decided there had to be an easier way. I was trying to organize my purchases on Google Docs and copying and pasting links. And it was all just very, very clunky. And you would think in this day and age, it would be much easier to keep track of all the things that you're interested in buying. So that's kind of where I came up with Whiskit, really just a solution for people to customize their online shopping experience and kind of make a universal cart for themselves is how I'm thinking about it. But yeah, Mark, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I know when Emily came to us with this product idea and value prop, it was something that really resonated with the team. How many times have you been on an app, uh, on a website, anywhere on one of these digital touch points and thought, oh man, like I really love this ad that's being served to me. I love what this influencer is sharing with me and you have nowhere to save it. And I shared this with Emily when she came to us. I have so many different ways of saving things I want to buy whether it's bookmarks, a lot of the times I actually email myself things, which is not efficient at all. And so it was such a great use case because it was something that we immediately related to, immediately had our own problems with, and we're like, wait, this is definitely something we can solve collaboratively and figure out a better solution to all the different ways people might save things they see from all the different mobile platforms or desktop or apps or whatever they're interacting with. 
Uh, that's great. And I can definitely say I've experienced that problem myself. Um, as I mentioned before, we, my wife and I just moved to a new home and the endless shopping online, especially when you move somewhere new and just so many things to buy and so many options. And is it cheaper here or over there? And it's just endless. So it, there's definitely is a, an interesting problem in the way you're going about solving it. And I guess um, my next question on that, Emily, would be you have this idea, but if I understand you're not a kind of technical founder by any means, you've been around it, it sounds like, but how did you then go about figuring out how to take this idea and actually start to turn it into an app? Well, I really sat on the idea for about two years. I was really discouraging myself from taking it any further because I'm not technical by any means. I mean, I worked a tech retailer, you could say, but I had nothing to do with the tech side of it. I was strictly the visual merchant for their print catalog. So it was more so interacting with their tech that got me thinking about it and interested in it. And I had a friend from college who actually is in the tech business out of Dallas. And after about a year of thinking about it, I casually gave him a call and said, I have this idea. I don't know if it's even possible, but do you mind if I tell you about it and you tell me what you think? And he offered a lot of great advice. He kind of laid it out for me in terms of what's possible and kind of what my first step should look like. And that was really the basis of me starting to dig into the work for Whisket. It really gave me a good outline of where do I go from here and how do I navigate this world that I'm not familiar with at all. Yeah, I love that. And and so what was the experience like, of, I guess, of coming to Majestic and kind of starting that conversation? And why did you maybe choose Majestic or what other options did you consider co-founders or just hiring a team or... You know, what were the options you considered and how did you kind of end up choosing Majestic? Yeah, I really didn't consider a co-founder. So thankful for my friends and just the connections that they're willing to provide for me and the people who are willing to listen and hear me out. And I think that was really what connected me to Majestic was when I was looking for someone to develop this app with, I probably... In hindsight, not my best idea, but I started Googling best app developers and just started emailing one after another after another. And for several months, I sifted through conversations with developers and gave them my idea. And I hadn't found one that felt really right. And quality was definitely the most and still is the most important thing for me. And I just wasn't finding someone that I thought would deliver a quality product and at the same time, be willing to kind of pick up the slack for me in the technical side and be willing to kind of guide me along the process and help me learn and educate me on the things that I'm not an expert in. I'm an expert on the retail side of things, but not so much the technical side. So I had reached out to Majestic. They were one of the best app companies on one of the articles that I read. And I sent out an inquiry email and I received a response from Sean and it was really wonderful of him to take the time to talk with me. But to be honest, at that point, I had had a couple of different conversations with developers stateside and found that they were either not in my budget or did not typically work with small businesses. And I kind of went into it thinking, this is really nice of him to take the time to hear me out and give me some advice, but kind of knew in the back of my mind, maybe in the long run, I'll be able to work with them if 
Whiskey ever got off the ground, but for now, it was just a really great conversation where he heard my idea and gave a lot of good advice on next steps and how to navigate moving forward with where I was in development. So again, I walked away from that conversation thinking that was really helpful of him. He was really kind. Maybe one day I'll get to work with them. And to my surprise, I got an email about a week later and Sean said that he had taken the idea back to his team at Majestic and got a lot of interest in developing the idea. So they were willing to work with me on it and it didn't even cross my mind as a second thought. I said, okay, great. I mean, the quality of their work is so evident in their portfolio. For me, it was a no brainer. That's great. And I appreciate you sharing that, Mark. I'd love to hear your insights on this as well, because I know at Majestic, you guys or different. A lot of app shops out there, I think, are just trying to sell work. You guys really, you guys don't use the word clients, you use the word partners, which I find really interesting. So what was that experience like for you guys, I guess, when Emily came forward and just starting that conversation? Yeah, that's a great question. And and like you said, we really like to refer to our clients as partners. And the reason we say that is because, yes, we have the capabilities to develop and produce a lot of different types of products and platforms. But really what our interest in now as a growing company, growing to scale is partnering with the right types of clients, right? Partnering with people who have great ideas that we believe in. There is something about working with someone and a product idea that you just are passionate about that makes it a hundred times better versus working with a client where you're just kind of executing things because you're getting paid to do so. And so I know when Emily brought us the idea and realized she was a smaller business, we said to ourselves, all right, well, what are the pros and cons of working on a smaller startup, a smaller product, helping them get to an MVP versus vetting some of the other, I'd say, pitches that we had coming in to us? Um, it goes back to just the concept is something that is so universal and such a problem. So we were passionate about it as a team, and it's something we wanted to solve. And so it was kind of the perfect storm of this client coming in saying, hey, I want to produce something. I've got this idea. I have some stuff already scoped out in terms of requirements and us just feeling really passionate about the project. So we were able to make it work out and figure out the best way that we could collaborate. And for us, those are the best types of collaborations, right? Ones where we do a lot of user research in our process, but really we spoke to everyone on the team because everyone could relate to online shopping. And we saw so many different use cases for this that it was just something that we had to jump on and we were really excited to work on. Nice. That's amazing. I love hearing that. And it's just a really cool story how this came together. And so, Emily, um, next thing I'd like to dive into is, you know, from your perspective, what was that, I guess, like that process or that experience uh, like of getting started? You know, I guess coming from non-technical, working now with a technical team, like what was that experience like working with them, walking through that and just what maybe obstacles or what was the flow like and, and how'd that look for you? It was and still is pretty wild for me. <laughs> I feel like I walk away from every meeting with a list of terms that I want to look up and learn about from a tech perspective. And the Majestic team has just been so wonderful. And like I said, really picking up the slack where I lack knowledge and the technical side of things. And yeah, it's such a learning process. I would say that if you're a non-technical founder looking to do a tech 
app, find the right partner to do it with and be willing to learn and work hard and just be a sponge, absorb all the information that you can. I mean, I wish I could show you my notebook. It it looks like a madman every time we meet because I'm just writing down so much and trying to absorb all that I can and learn. And like I said, their portfolio of work is just so evident. I even downloaded a couple of the apps that they've worked on just to get a feel for what the product could be like. And it's all just so exciting to really see the dream become a reality. That's amazing. And Mark, I'm curious to hear your side on that as well. And do you, from a Majestic side, how do you kind of maybe work differently if you're working with a technical or a non-technical founder? Uh, How do you approach things differently there? Sure. As far as the process, it is largely the same for anyone that we work with. I think where non-technical founders are at a disadvantage is obviously their understanding of the process involved and how difficult it is to develop a platform. And then beyond that, how do you market it to the public? What do you post-launch? How do you continue to iterate? And so for us, when working with a non-technical founder, one of the things we really emphasize uh, that Emily already touched on is education as part of that engagement. So explaining what's happening at any given point in the process, being very clear on the purpose of certain methodologies and deliverables, and just heavy amounts of communication because we really want our partners to feel involved, to understand what's going on, and to take part in the process. We don't want them to be spectators who just review deliverables every other week. And to take that a step further, the real goal with working, especially with non-technical founders, is client comprehension. So I can say to Emily or any other client that we might be working with, here's what to expect from this first phase. Here's the deliverables you're going to get. But if someone doesn't know what those artifacts are, what they're used for, what they're even looking at, uh, they're not helpful. They're helpful to us because we made them, but there's no understanding coming from our partners' side. So it's really about transparency and helping bring a non-technical individual up to speed as best we can. And that comes through just a lot of sharing of knowledge. We want to set our partners up with the knowledge they need to go back to their investors to their customers, consumers, friends, family, and communicate their value proposition, functionality, and even the tech that powers their platform. So it's all about empowering our clients while also building this platform or product. It's amazing. I love that. And yeah, just can tell how you guys kind of make this and like really kind of support uh, those non-technical founders in a sense. And Emily, I guess with this whole kind of experience, what has been some of the biggest challenges or the hardest parts for you kind of going through this that you've hit? Yeah, besides being non-technical, being the biggest challenge, I think for me, I definitely think myself, I often find myself standing in my own way. It's why I sat on the idea for almost two years, just kind of thinking that I don't know enough or this isn't my field of expertise. Like, why would I try and do something that I might not be good at? And I'm really bad about the negative kind of thoughts that you can throw out there if you're new to something. And I still constantly have to tell myself every day that it's okay that you don't know everything. Remind myself that you can learn and you can work hard at it and you can become good at it. But at the same time, I think it's just, again, so important to find the right developing partner on this who is willing to answer any questions that you have, the really dumb questions. <laughs> like It's just, and don't be afraid to ask them. And like I said, I just, I have to constantly remind myself that it's okay, that I'm not the expert in tech and that I am an expert in retail and that together it's the, it's the perfect recipe. 
That's great. And Mark, from your side, is there any other challenges that you guys have hit on the Majestic side building this out that you've had to kind of overcome throughout this process as well? Challenges, I would say no major challenges. I, I feel like we've really put together a solid plan of action for bringing this product to life. Again, I think one of the not challenges, but one of the things we've emphasized was just making sure whenever we shared something with Emily, whether it was a tech stack or an integration or a wireframe or design, was that she really understood what she was looking at as well as what specifically we wanted in terms of feedback. So we don't like to just send things and hope for the best. We always had meetings. We had a lot of meetings, always reviewed things with her, walked through every single revision we might have made or sprint that we've done. So again, it was a lot of communication in a remote world, I guess is a challenge, I would say. That makes sense. And how is it for you, I guess, Emily, on the other side of that, whenever they're making a decision on a tech stack or what tool to integrate or use this or use that, and they're kind of bringing that to you, are you trusting their advice? Do you have inputs at time? Are they explaining the pros and cons? Or how do you kind of handle those technical decisions that require some weigh in from you, but you probably had no knowledge of prior to that conversation. So I definitely trust them 100%, 110%. I mean, with my life, they've made the process so easy for me. Like if someone were to ask me, how was your experience in making an app? I'd say great because they made it just so easy and just under easy to understand with every email, with every meeting, they were so great about laying it out exactly. Okay, this is what we're looking at. This is where this falls in the grand scheme of things. And I mean, just made it so easy for me to understand. But from Choice's perspective, I think I would do my best. Another challenge for me was also not getting too far ahead of myself, knowing that this is the first step, hopefully in a bigger picture. And I often become impatient and want to just keep thinking on and onto the next steps. And that was definitely a challenge for me to have to keep readjusting my point of view and remind myself that this is version one, hopefully, and hopefully there's many more to come, but they just made it so easy. The entire process of giving me the full context of what we were reviewing that day and where the pieces fall into the puzzle. So it, I mean, they really made it so easy, but like I said, I tried to familiarize myself and I mean, the competitive analysis that they did was so in depth. I spent a lot of time going through that information and looking at the pieces that they pulled from competitor apps and seeing interacting with it myself, like downloading it and seeing how I interact with it. Do I feel like that's important And they just really did so much and made it such a great process. I really, I would say it was hands down so great. That's amazing. And I'm curious also, I know you're rolling into MVP here very shortly. And how would you say that, you know, now that you're seeing this go out into the world and you're seeing what's been created, how does what has been created, like kind of lined up with what you had initially imagined? It's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's just, I get so giddy every time I think about it. It's like your baby going off into the world. (laughs) But no, it really is. And the team did such a good job of when I came to them, I had kind of like a really makeshift pieces of all these things. Because I think in some respects, 
Whisket and its features do exist in the world already, but nothing that anybody is using consistently or is user-friendly and it's just not working. So why isn't it working? And so I kind of pulled aspects from all these things that I thought would make Whisket into kind of the perfect recipe. And they were so great about taking all of my ideas and saying, we are going to consider these and do our best to see what we can add in there. And I think in the end, we pretty much got everything. I mean, there were a few things where we had to have a conversation like, hey, like this just isn't possible right now, but maybe down the road. And and that's to be expected, I think, with anything. You have to know and set your expectations. So um, it's really, really exciting. A very pinch me moment, I think. That's great. And Mark, any thoughts from your side on just kind of the evolution from the original vision to where it's hit now? Yeah, I feel like that's a loaded question as a creative and developer uh, i'm always thinking of how can we make this better what's v2 how can we just really amp this up but to the other side we do really want to get something in the market an mvp to validate the concept and start bringing on some initial users so i found that we really haven't had to make too many compromises which was great in this experience because sometimes that's not always the case so we're pretty close to the initial vision and our goal right now is just to get this MVP out, get it live in the world and see how people use it. And that's our first goal. And I think from there, what we can do is make educated decisions about how we pivot the product or how we iterate upon it based on user feedback, based on what people want to see in the product. So we're being smart. We're rolling out this initial product with this core feature set and making sure we get it right and into the market. That's great. And I guess I'll kind of take on another question on that is, yeah, I guess... Emily, going here, getting the MVP out, what's the trajectory look like for you or what's your kind of vision for where you want to take this in the the years to come? Yeah, I mean, if all goes well, I hope that it keeps continuing to evolve and grow. This is a passion project for me. It's been really fun for me. I mean, I think it's really going to be crazy to see all the ideas that come out of COVID and whisk it. Like Mark said, we put it out there. We see how people are using it, get some good feedback and improve upon it from there. I mean, I would obviously hope and love to see it evolve and grow. That's that's great. And Mark, I'd love to hear you kind of just hinted at this a bit on kind of your next steps, but I'm curious how you guys think Majestic from like MVP to like, where do you guys go from there? And like, how do you think about how to partner with a founder to kind of help keep developing that longer term? Sure. And so at the onset, when we were doing the discovery and research phase, one of the deliverables we provided was a matrix of features that were prioritized by must, should, could, and won't. We call it a Moscow matrix. But that is kind of one of the first artifacts we create that helps with this idea of long-term roadmap. So of course, what we're hoping to launch right now, or what we will launch, is this MVP product that has this core feature set addressing the challenge of shopping across multiple mediums. Beyond that, there were some other great features, some really cool, fun bells and whistles that would definitely make the experience better, but were not necessarily essential to the core product. So I think from here where we go, and as we kind of touched on, is learning how people use it and seeing what they like, and really the iteration part becomes a little fun, I think. This whole process has been fun. I think when you iterate, that's exciting to see a product live and figure out, okay, wait, here's what I thought I wanted. This is not what people want at all. And so, yeah, I'm excited to just learn how people use it and see what features they like and don't like. And 
it's kind of a rolling target from there. It's going to change based off next year, how that goes in the pandemic, how people use it, what people's needs are. So I could give you the plan that we have right now, but whether we stay true to that in 2022, it might be completely different a year from now. So that's exciting and nerve wracking and a whole bunch of feelings at the same time, but we're excited to put it out there. I love that. That's amazing. Uh, and so as we get close to wrapping up here, Emily, I'd love to ask just, you know, as a final takeaway, you know, what advice would you have for other non-technical founders who are wanting to go forward and build their ideas? Yeah, trust yourself. I feel like that's the biggest thing. Sitting on this idea for two years, it was constantly an internal discussion of, is this a good idea? Do people really need this? Are you really that sick of making Google document lists where you link all your items out for Christmas or your birthday? It's just... And trust yourself. And even if you aren't the expert in that field, don't let yourself not start a new venture just because you think you might fail. Definitely be willing to do the work and learn and absorb all the information that you can. But I would say just trust yourself. Amazing. And Mark, I'd be curious on your side, you know, what advice do you have for non-technical founders who are wanting to work with a development shop like Majestic or others? Sure. As a non-technical founder, I would say your first problem isn't how to build the solution. It's figuring out what your solution should be in the first place. In our experience, we've worked with some non-technical founders who get really tripped up and hyper-focused on the how, 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 how of programming, engineering, and technology. And that's really what your development partner is for. That's what we're here to do. We're the ones here to figure out how to put everything together and make it work. As a non-technical founder, what you should really focus on is again that solution and all of the things that go along with it. So that business plan, your marketing plan, what you're gonna do post-launch, reviewing deliverables we provide and making sure it aligns with your vision. So it's a balancing game of, yes, I think you should strive to be a little bit more technical and understand what's happening, but don't let other things fall to the wayside because you're so focused on making sure you understand every technical aspect. And so that really comes down to having a partner that you can trust one that you have vetted really well and had multiple conversations with, as well one that breaks down that process for you and easy to understand it. That's great and super helpful advice there. So thank you both for taking the time to come on here. Emily, could you share with everyone where can they go to find out more about Wiskit, find you guys online and even try out the app? Absolutely. So you can learn more at shopwiskit.com. And until we launch, I think we're going to have a sign up where you can enter your email and hopefully get some updates as soon as it's available. But you can find everything on social at Shop Whisket, and we're really excited. Great. Well, thank you both for taking the time to come on here. I appreciate you uh, sharing the story today. Thanks, Jake. Thanks, Jake. Thank you for listening, and we hope you found this episode insightful. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star review. You can find more information and links to all the resources mentioned in today's episode at productbuilderspodcast.com. This episode is brought to you by Majestic Apps. We imagine, design, and build digital products. With clients like Chevrolet, AudioMac, IBM, Barefoot, and more, you can be sure you're in good hands. Reach out to us at majesticapps.com.